Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. On this episode, a conversation with filmmaker Andrew Bergman. If you don't know his name, you certainly know his work, and there are some sports connections. Bergman was a part of the team of writers behind Blazing Saddles, alongside the legendary Mel Brooks and Richard Pryor. That film script came from Bergman's story idea and evolved from there into one of the top comedies on anyone's list. Some interesting stories in here about the writing process there. Bergman, a New York native and longtime Yankees fan, also wrote the screenplay for the Chevy Chase classic Fletch, easily one of the most quotable movies of the last 40 years. His other credits include Honeymoon in Vegas, It Could Happen to You, Striptease, Little Big League, The Freshman, and The In-Laws. The In-Laws starred the great Peter Falk, and it actually served as a jumping-off point for Bergman to write the script for a baseball movie called The Scout. Now, that film was made in 1994 and starred Brendan Fraser and Albert Brooks about a phenom discovered by a disgraced Yankee scout in some outpost of the Mexican League. Okay movie, not a classic. Some fun moments, including cameos by George Steinbrenner and John Sterling, also Bob Costas, Bobby Mercer, and Ozzie Smith. But it was originally conceived and scripted several years before that, and last summer I heard a story from Hollywood producer Mike Lobel how The Scout was originally written for John Belushi to star in, and that concept blew my mind. So I reached out to the screenwriter, Mr. Bergman, to talk about that crazy idea. He has other very funny and very quotable movies and his lifelong love of Yankees baseball. My love for movies and sports and movies about sports collide here once again. Here is my conversation with writer, director, producer, Andrew Bergman. Andy, the first thing I want to ask you is there is a version of The Scout, which you wrote, that has John Belushi in mind as the star, Peter Falk in the Albert Brooks role as The Scout. What kind of movie was this going to look like and how close did it ever get to being made? It didn't get close to that. Um, that was the original conception. I mean, I, I, we, we, I owned this, the... Uh, the story by Roger Angel is a great piece he wrote about this called The Scout. And I had just done The In-Laws, so I heard Peter Falk was in my mind all the time. And he seemed like the perfect guy to be a scout because this guy was completely obtuse. All he knew you know, was baseball. And he goes to Mexico and he finds a guy uh, who turns out to be Abby Hoffman on the run, uh, an escaped Chicago seven guy. Uh, and he's had plastic surgery done in a completely makeover. And he's had these shots from this Mexican doctor. This only the second white man who had ever gotten these shots, the first being Babe Ruth. So he brings this guy back 
to the States. And he's basically, it's like he's brought King Kong back. Uh, he's, he hits the ball like 900 miles. And then eventually the guy gets caught because he is an escaped uh, uh, political prisoner. <laughs> and the scout is so obtuse, they say to things, I was in Chicago in 68. You remember Chicago in 68? And he said, yeah, the bullpen was no good. You know, that's <laughs> that you saw the whole world through that, that prism. So I had no idea what he had. You know? So that was a great version, but we couldn't get it off the ground. And Belushi was sort of in, was sort of out. Uh, and then he died, which really eliminated him as a possibility. Uh, and then there was a version with Walter Matthau, and that fell apart for the reasons that things fall apart movies. And then it got resuscitated with Albert Brooks for some reason and, and Michael Ritchie. Uh, but it was a, a very changed version. So uh, Belushi actually saw the version you wrote for him, though. Oh, yeah. He, he had, I had a meeting with him. He was shooting the Blues Brothers in Chicago. So I went out and met with him and Aykroyd. Uh, and Belushi was a lovely guy, but he had the tension span of a fruit fly. I mean, you couldn't talk to him for more than four seconds. Um, so it wasn't easy. You had to sort of pin him down. The, the way we got him was the Warner Brothers, head of Warner Brothers was with us. He get, and Belushi wanted to know how many hours he could get on the plane. You know, how, many, how much use could he make of the Warner's plane? That was the way we got him in. That's hilarious. Um, do you do you think that this is there's a lot of ifs, and I understand there are always a lot of dominoes to fall in the movie making process. But if he hadn't died in 1982, this movie got made in 1994. Do you think at some point this is something that you could have accomplished with him, or it just wasn't going to happen? Who no. I mean, with him, dubious. I mean, he knew his brand, as I say now, you know, which was. Jake Blues and 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 sort of those guys he did these sort of animals. This guy was a different kind of animal, you know. Yeah. Um, but super big because Peter could have done this in his sleep. He was like perfect. Yeah, I um, I, I think Albert Brooks is hilarious. What did you think of the uh, the version that finally got made? I think Albert Brooks is a fantastic comic. I didn't think he was a scout. I don't think he can play stupid. I mean, up to, so he can play a lot of things. Uh, neurotic, as good as anybody who ever lived, he can play neurotic. But that that kind of tunnel vision that like Peter had, and 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 I think Mathau could have had, uh, I don't think that's in his his uh, his color scheme. But I, I mean, I love him. I think he's a hilarious guy. I mean, he's done some movies that were paralyzingly funny. The, I know you are a, uh, a longtime Yankee fan, so there are some people who make some wonderful cameos in this movie that I'm sure you had a kick being around. We went to get permission to use Yankee Stadium because we went to shoot in Yankee Stadium. Mm -hmm. So we go uh, to sit in Steinbrenner's box. I'm with, with Peter Ford, who brings along uh, Ben Gazzara and John Cassavetes, plus the head of, of, of Fox, Sherry Lansing, wonderful woman. And we get there, I can't remember the years, it's in the 80s, but Ed Figueroa is pitching. Okay. And Ed Figueroa gets his brains knocked in. And Steinbrenner says, we're sitting there, he says, he spit the bit on me for the last time, gets up and walks out of the out of the box. And the next day, Figueroa was gone. They released him <laughs> the next day. So that was the best baseball story I got out of this. You got to witness George Steinbrenner up close and personal. Being, be George being George. Hey, you were involved in another baseball movie uh, as executive producer. It also came out in 94. Um, 
a little big league. What did you, um, what did you, there are a lot of stars in this movie too. A lot of baseball stars in this movie. Ken Jr.'s in it. Randy Johnson's in it. And there's a, there's a host of other uh, really recognizable players that, that made appearances in this. What did you think of that experience? I was executive producer as Mel Brooks was around and doesn't do much anything. Uh, But it was a sweet movie. Uh, We originally wanted to do it in Kansas City. The the problem was we we had to get the Metrodome, and the Metrodome was not a beautiful place to shoot a movie. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a little dead. And Kansas City had this gorgeous ballpark. Still does the same place. Yeah, I think it's one of the prettiest ballparks in the majors. And none of those domes to me has any appeal as a baseball field whatsoever. Yeah, um, it was a nice experience. Certainly, it was a pleasant experience. You you needed it for the weather purposes, right? Shooting in the winter. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I um I I had Timothy Busfield on this uh, probably a couple of years ago, and he told me uh, uh, some wonderful stories about this. One of them was that you know he tried to get like Randy Johnson was supposed to lay one in there but kind of half speed so that he could make contact and it could never work. Randy Johnson couldn't throw it at half speed. Right. Uh, so they half had to speed be- for him is 85 miles an hour. Yeah. He couldn't even do that. Um, that was, uh, I heard I, he was I, a pretty good ball player at Busfield. Yeah. I, mean, actually, I heard he was pretty good. Yeah. Some of the trick, one of the tricks about baseball movies a lot of times is that the baseball doesn't always look real. Uh, I think in this movie, it, it came out pretty well. The baseball looked real at least. It did. Uh, it, it's tricky because you can't assume that these guys are athletes. I mean, if you're lucky, you know, like Redford did a pretty good uh, imitation of a ball player in the natural. He looked, he looked pretty good. Uh, and Costner is a good athlete and he's done it a bunch of times. Yeah. Um, but it's very tricky. It's very tricky. I have a scene in Yankee stadium that I shot with Nick cage. Where I realized couldn't really throw a ball. So we we had we we made him a catcher and he sort of tossed it back. You have to work with what you can do. That's uh, and it could happen to you. You got to film yeah. with the original Yankee Stadium for that, huh? And met Bob Shepard, which was a, one of the great thrills of my entire lifetime. What a sweet guy he was! Isn't it amazing when you meet him and that voice comes out of the person? You can't. You cannot him? believe it. And you say, "Please, can I get my answering machine here right now, so you could record my message?" You know. <laughs> uh, did you get him to do one for you? No, mm. I didn't have the equipment with me. <laughs> I should have thought of it, but he was so sweet. That was great being able to use the bullpark. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I, I mean, you talk about you know being starstruck in different things about meeting people, but be you know in a venue that you've been in before as a fan, getting to work in it must have been something special. No, to be on that field and to stand on third base and realize you have to throw the ball from here to first base and these guys do it they make it look like nothing when you stand there it's like you got to throw a javelin across the football field it's just, it really you start to you know there's a reason they pay these guys this money it really is not easy yeah and and being uh, even like even without seeing the actual people do it up close just being on the field oh seeing that. the dimensions that was the thing that killed me that third to first is that oh my god how do you do this yeah, and people think, you know, 314 down the right field line, that's easy, right? But it's... Uh, Try it, you know, do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's easy for them. It's not easy for everybody else. Um, what are your favorite baseball movies? Favorite baseball movies? Well, of course, I did, I blubbered through Field of Dreams. I will, I will, when he starts having a catch with his old man, 
Yeah. You know, that's just, that, that's unbearable, heartbreaking. Um, Pride of the Yankees is really a pretty good movie. And the fact that the babe is actually in it doing dialogue is, is, is a treat. What are your favorite? I'm trying to think. The Natural was a hell of a movie. Natural's it's not really a baseball movie, but it's a hell of a movie. Listen, Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, and Major Bull League. Durham is very, Bull, Bull Durham is very. Bull probably the most baseball. Costner really gets it about baseball. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I do believe that. Um, Eight Men Out was pretty good. Eight Men Out's a terrific movie. Major yeah. League is a movie that I think a lot of baseball players gravitate to. Just you know, it's silly. But it's it also feels real as far as just the baseball action a lot of times. Yeah, I can believe it. Doing sports movies is so hard to make it look real, to make it look like it's, it, it, it's really, really happening. It, it's it's very difficult. Yeah, it's, it's a. I mean, it's kind of a, and people keep going back to it. So there must be something. Do they go back to it because it works, or do they go back to it because they keep thinking they can they can make it perfect? Well, I think for a lot of people, particularly men, it's so in their DNA. It's so much part of their life. It's so much a part of their growing up. It certainly was for me that at some point you want to go there. You know, you just want to be there. Um, sort of a semi-religious thing. It's like there have always been tons of boxing movies. I mean, the best being, of course, uh, Raging Bull. And you just got such a feeling for the atmosphere and for the brutality and, 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 and the beauty of it. It, it. That's an amazing picture. Amazing movie. Yeah. You know, there's it's funny you mentioned boxing because now I'm thinking about the original one. But um, the um, one of my one of my favorite movies, that's a wonderful movie and it's got sports in it. It's not a sports movie. Heaven Can Wait has a lot of good sports action and it's yes. based on the original, which is a boxing film originally. But it's got a lot of terrific sports action. It's not a sports movie. It's a phenomenal movie. It works on movie. all those levels. Yeah, it's a wonderful movie. And, and they make the action look pretty good. Warren Beatty pulls that off pretty good. Well, I think he played football in high school. Oh, yeah. Maybe. All right. So I want to ask you about a couple of movies that you worked on. Okay. Um, you wrote a movie that I kind of believe is probably one of the most three or four most often quoted movies of my generation. You wrote Fletch. And yeah. when Fletch comes out in the mid 80s, it I mean, it did very well it was 50 million dollar box office movie but it also took part in the the vhs revolution and then it the replays so it's on all the time people see it a lot over the course of time and because of the little one-liners that get dropped in throughout the whole movie i feel like it's become one of the most at least in my generation in my you know circle of people one of the most often quoted movies how do you feel about that movie I feel good about that movie. It was from a book called Fletch, good, a good book by Gregory McDonald. Um, I wrote the original script in, in like four weeks and I can't write a check in four weeks. I mean, it takes me forever <laughs> to do anything. We had a very hot actor at that time. You know, Chevy was, was big news. Um, Universal treated the movie like it was gonna be a hit from day one. And it was just, it was a, it was a really, really very, very pleasant experience. Michael Ritchie uh, was the director, a guy I liked a lot. And it just, it just became, you never know why these things become phenomenons. Um, but there was a kind of wise-ass thing that it tapped into among adolescent boys. I heard somebody tell me he went to Princeton. They said there was a particular eating club at Princeton where you couldn't get in unless you had memorized the whole script. <laughs> you'd be quizzed, <laughs> you'd be quizzed on it. 
uh, on Fletch to get into Princeton of all places. So yeah, it was it was a, it was a it was a it was a really cool experience. I'm curious about process um, when you know when you're writing that. How much of that is 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 just your words? How much of that is Chevy Chase's words and thoughts? How much of it is a combination? I don't think it's just thoughts. He certainly did some great ad libbing and you know. Um, Cujo, there are various things that happened that, that he was, he was, he was very quick. He's a bright guy. Um, at one point he claimed he actually wrote the script, which wasn't, which wasn't true because he wrote that one. Yeah. What about Fletch Lives? Didn't he write that one too? Uh, <laughs> you got to take credit for all of them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and, and it really, it helps so much when you, when you know who you're writing for specifically, that, that is, a blessing. I mean, I had that with the in-laws because I knew I was writing it for Peter Falk and Alan Arkin. I had that when, he re- when I rewrote The Freshman because I knew Brando was going to be in it, so I'm writing for him. So the, it, it, it focuses you enormously. And Chevy had a particular, as I say, this kind of wise-ass frat boy thing uh, and made it, it made my work a lot easier. Do you like when people quote movies to you or your movies to you? Is that, is that a compliment to a writer? If they come up to me in the street, <laughs> which they don't. The good, the, the blessing of being a writer is nobody knows who you are. So it's yeah. not like people are going to run up to me on the subway and say, "Hey, you wrote Fletch." But yeah, certain things like like Serpentine from the in-laws is, is like a big, a big yeah. deal, you know. Um, but yeah, of course it's a compliment because you know you, you're doing it so you can live forever. You know, every yeah. every writer wants wants to cheat death and and be in there forever. So yeah, if you if you write stuff that gets in there in in people's DNA, sure, absolutely. You, do you recognize it all right away? Because I remember hearing an interview with Tim Robbins where, you know, he says he and he's a sports fan. He get, he meets baseball players and they come up and they drop lines from Bull Durham to him, and he has not a clue what they're talking about because he made the movie and never watched it again. Do you recognize your own, you know, when someone just drops a, you know, I mean, the put it on the Underhills tab is kind of an easy one. But if someone drops yes, things, that's an easy you one. Well, the thing it? is, if he's the actor, he wrote, he, he, he read the lines. Yeah. Once you write them and then you've re- rewritten them 50 times. Um, plus, if you directed, you've seen every inch of the movie 5,000 times. So you literally, once it opens, you never see it again. You can't look at it. Yeah. Um, it's like eating the same meal, you know, for, for six weeks. Yeah. You can't do it. I say, not spaghetti again. So you don't. But but in terms of, of, of if people come up to me and say serpentine, I certainly don't wonder what they're talking about. Yeah. Do you um do you, do you ever watch, you know, you mentioned the process of, of making it and then watching it over and over again after it's out. I mean, when, when was the last time you watched Blazing Saddles or you watched Fletch or, or It Could Happen to You? From beginning to end, I can't. I can't remember. I, I'm sure, almost never. I now have grandchildren, so they can. They're beginning to be able to watch certain sections of Blazing Saddles. You know, they. Yeah. You know, my younger, my eight year old has been now seen the just the campfire scene because there's a <laughs> language in it. But he's certainly that he comprehends. Anybody comprehends that. Yeah, uh, it's so basic. But yeah, you you can't watch them. It's just you. You know, you just get up and walk out of the room. It's just, it's too, it's too inside you at this point. It's, it's like, you don't you don't want to relive that. Um, but there's certainly parts I watch with great pleasure. I say, oh, I remember that. But what you do, particularly if you directed the movie, say, oh, you will think 
not know what, what you were seeing so much. You like, God, it was freezing that day. I remember, you know, I remember it took us 20 minutes to get the guy to say that, you know, uh, that's what you remember. There are, you know, there are remote control stoppers on TV, right? But I know like it, a lot of movies are just comfort food. And I know that if I'm kind of maybe doing something in my office and I flip around to see something is on and if it's Fletch or it could happen to you, whatever, or little big league, you know, it, it goes on the TV and I go about what I'm doing and I'm watching it. Do you, will you stumble upon one of your movies and watch it or will you avoid it because it's one of your movies? I'll watch it for as long as I can tolerate it. Which is probably- <laughs> Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Four or five minutes. That's it, huh? You probably, yeah. Out of any dislike, just out of that, you had so much of it, you know? Yeah. Filled you every waking minute of your life, particularly when you direct them, you wake up thinking about it, you fall asleep thinking about it, you know. I want to ask you about the process of Blazing Saddles. Um, Okay. You're credited with the story and among the writers, the group of writers, it's you, it's Norman Steinberg, Alan Uger, and of course, Mel Brooks and Richard Pryor. Right. Um, That's a lot of people writing one movie. What's the process like? Do you write scenes together? Do you write them apart and come sit together? That was was very unique, that movie. I had sold the story and written the first draft of a script called Text X, 
text and just the letter X, like, like as in Malcolm, mm -hmm. um, about a, you know, a black sheriff in the old West. Uh, I sold it to Warner Brothers. It was like the only high concept idea I ever had in my life, but it really, it's just, they made it and originally uh, Alan Arkin was going to direct it and James Earl Jones was going to be the sheriff and that didn't work out. So then they came to me and said, how about Mel Brooks? I love Mel Brooks. You know, I was a 2000 year old man. It was, it's one of the funniest things that ever created by anybody. So let's give it a shot. And Mel had decided he wanted to do this like he, they did the old show of shows. He said, Caesar show, he wanted to do it in a room with people and to everybody be bouncing ideas of everybody. So he got a guy named Norman Steinberg, who had a writing partner named Alan Uger, and Alan dropped out pretty early. Uh, and then we said, we can't, we, we have to have a, a black writer. We can't, we can't have four Jews writing something about a black sheriff. We were, you know, it's not even that we were woke, it's just, it's just, it won't be any good, you know? And Richie came and he sort of liberated all of us, you know, because he just went for it. And then we all went for it. And then for like for six weeks, we all wrote together. Um, and then Richie went off to be Richie and, and Mel and Norman and I wrote the bulk of it after that. But it was very collegial. It was not one for everybody wrote together, everybody in a room screaming and a lot of stuff. Some things I can remember, oh, that was my idea. But mostly um, it was collaborative, really collaborative in that you don't know who said what after a while. Yeah. It's just the best, you know. I guess as the movie grows through time, it's mostly considered Mel Brooks and Richard Pryor. But I mean, is are, everybody contributed a lot of equal amounts is what you're saying in that collaborative process. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody who's in that room would, would say that. I mean, you know, R Richie was the name brand and so was so was Mel. But over the years, that's changed. You know, what stands out to you about how that movie has has kind of stayed through the course of time because you, if you sent that script to somebody today, you couldn't get it made for a lot of reasons, but you know, I mean, what do you think about, you know, it's almost 50 years now that that movie has been made. Amazingly. Yes. Could it get made today? Of course not. I mean, for any number of reasons, right. The cost we prohibitive, forget the language, forget, you know, for, I mean, now more than ever, you couldn't get it made. Even 10 years ago, you could say, it'd be tough to get it made, but maybe you could get it made. Now, you know, it's not even fathomable to get it made um, for a lot of reasons. Many of them, I think, unfortunate. Um, and the studio thought it was going to be a disaster. I mean, once they saw it, they thought it was going to go immediately <laughs> in, into the dumper. And they were as surprised as anybody when it just opened and it never, it's just opened and it kept going and going and going and going. The word of mouth in the movie was was stupendous. And it's such a dense movie. The thing is, you really had to see it three times to get half the jokes. Yeah, yeah. There's so much going on, you know, uh, which was the advantage of having multiple writers because we were all, you know, feeding this machine. Um, it was a great experience. It really was. It feels so smart too. The more that you watch it, and not just you know, like you said, you have to un understand the layers and the jokes to watch it multiple times. But you know, it's it's not slapstick. It's not silly. I mean, it is all that, but it's all of that. But it's so smart. It's very smart. That's why you have to see it a lot because there's so many things, so many things going on. And what what to me is the cleverest thing is is 
you know, in my original, there was there was an interracial romance, which at that point, this is 1973, was a, could be shocking. I thought it was going to be this black sheriff and somebody like, you know, Candace Bergen, who was the daughter of the railroad magnate, mm-hmm. and have a real hot and heavy romance. I thought the genius of what Mel did with Madeline Kahn, this Marlene Dietrich's semi-Nazi singer, is you didn't even realize it was an interracial romance anymore. It was so funny that you'd never even thought, oh my God, this is, and it's 1974, it wasn't like the common currency at the time. Yeah. But you made the interracial romance work. You figured she was absolutely nuts about him. He was sort of crazy about her. You did it in, in very bold satiric terms. But we completely got away with it. No one ever said, ah, you can't do that. The movie wasn't like banned in Mississippi because it was an interracial romance. It's like once you made her a Nazi, she wasn't a white person anymore. It was it was really, it was a brilliant move. I don't think it did it consciously, but it's just, it worked out that way. Like, like anything else you tried to, you know, if it works, somebody wants more of it. You, you had a, a TV series kind of based off of it, right? Never really took off. Yeah, that was short, short lived, as those things generally are. Yeah. You know, you can't get lightning in a bottle again, you know. Um, it actually wasn't bad. Lou Gossett Jr. played the sheriff, and Lou Gossett Jr. is terrific. But it's just what it wasn't meant to be. You know, and, and when we talk about how, like, the movie is silly and crazy, but it's also so smart. There's a, another movie, a more recent vintage, that I kind of think is is like that. And I don't know if, if you've seen it or if you think about it. Uh, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle is billed as a... I never saw that. I like those guys, but I never saw that movie. It's a it's a really smart comedy because it's billed as this stoner movie, but right. it's laced with all of this uh, racial, ethnic, stereotype type of right. things. And it's a smart commentary on all of that. And I think it, you know, it's, it, it feels to me like in the vein of Blazing Saddles, where wrapped up in all the silly humor is something that when you watch it a couple more times, you really get how smart it is. Mm-hmm. I have to catch up to it at some point. I never did. But I like those guys. You have spent a lot of years watching Yankee baseball. Will you remember your first time going to Yankee Stadium? Unforgettable. It was 1953. And the weird thing is I dug up a broadcast of the game at some point. Wow. On, a, on a Chicago White Sox website, because it was an extraordinary thing happening in the game. The Yankees were playing the White Sox at Yankee Stadium. The Whites, uh, it was tied or something, or the Yankees were losing going into the ninth, or they were they had a slightly. Anyhow, the White Sox had a left-handed pitcher named Tommy Byrne, who later on pitched for the Yankees. B-Y-R-N-E. Red Barber always called that good hitting pitcher. He was a very good hitter. And they brought him up to pinch hit. He was a pitcher, but they brought him in to pinch hit with the bases loaded. Hits a grand slam home run. That's my first game. Wow. He hits a grand slam to beat the Yankees into the into the porch. Uh, and they lose, I don't know, five to two of whatever it was. But that was it. That was the first one. I said, wow, this is weird. Um, and there's a found a Jack Brickhouse or somebody calling the game yeah. you know, from wow. Chicago. Uh, it was crazy. But the first time you walk into Yankee Stadium as a kid, it's just awe-inspiring. And that was the old, old stadium, you know, the 60,000 seats, um, all, of, all of which were behind the post. I mean, this, the thing about the old stadium <laughs> had all these girders. So wherever you were sitting, you were always like going from side to side to get all of the hill in front of you. But it was really, a, it was like a temple. It was just astounding place. And you could walk out on the field after the game. That was the wonderful thing. You could leave people walk.
left by the bullpens. You walked out through the bullpens out into, into the Bronx. I, I'm assuming that like everybody else at that age, you're a, a Mickey Mantle fan. I was always a perverse person. I was a Hank Bauer fan. Oh, no kidding. God knows why. I just thought he was great. It's, it's my perverse streak. Um, I mean, he was amazing, Mickey. He certainly was. You forget his speed. I, I still remember his, as much as his home runs, I remember his, his seeing him drag bunt, seeing him go down to first base, you know, in like a nanosecond. It was a guy that with that size and that power to be that quick was, was amazing. I don't, he, was, he wasn't really a great outfielder, but he was so fast, he just caught up to everything, you know. You know, it's funny hearing you describe it that way. It makes me think of something that you we mentioned Roger Angel earlier, who wrote this article that the scout is based off of. Yeah. Um, Roger mentioned something in his speech a couple of years ago in Cooperstown, where he talked about seeing something in the mind's eye. Uh, you know, nowadays, someone makes a great play. You see the replay a billion times 10 right. minutes later um, on all forms of media. And, and, and you know, and it's there. But there's yeah. something about seeing something in your mind's eye. You talk about, you know, watching Mickey Mantle run home to first or making a play in the outfield. Those are things maybe you don't have the specific, but there is still a very vivid memory etched in your mind, isn't there? Very. I'll tell you another one. I mean, DiMaggio had retired by the time I was, you know, he retired. At, I think he was 37 when he retired. And now he would have been a DH. He would have gotten $80 million <laughs> right. a year until he was 60. Uh, <laughs> but then he retired. He had a he bum leg in the money. He, he couldn't be Joe DiMaggio anymore. But I did see him play at an old-timers game. An old-timer, meaning then he was like 40. He was still a yeah. young man. And he playing center field. And somebody had a, a fly to short short center. And he came in, I'll never forget how he caught the ball. He came in, it was like he was on wheels. He wasn't running. He was just, he just suddenly appeared and there he was to catch the ball. It was wow. really, it was, it was, it was so graceful without trying to be graceful. It's just, that's the way he ran. Hmm. But it really was like he had wheels. All right. So I want to ask you if there's a sports kind, kind of movie, um, that you've ever wanted to make, and for whatever various reasons, a dream project? Is it something related to your Yankee fandom or a boyhood hero, or just a story that you found fascinating that you've wanted to make and for whatever reason just hasn't gotten done? It's tricky with sports movies. You know, William Goldman had a great line about golf, why he never wrote a golf movie. He said, whatever you do, it's going to come down to a putt on the 18th. And that's, <laughs> it. that's the end of any scene limited. That's where, you, that's where you're going to wind up. That's the last scene. Right. Um, I wrote a box, sort of a boxing chain gang movie once, which I never sold very early on called Kid Gloves, um, about a guy who escapes from a chain gang and becomes a great boxer, uh, which was sort of a spoof on all the chain gang movies. But no, I don't have any more sports movies in me. I had, um, I, I spoke a couple of years, maybe it was last year, I spoke with Angelo Pizzo, who wrote Hoosiers, and he wrote Rudy. Two of the best sports mm -hmm. movies ever, right? Uh, he he said he told me that he has a Mickey Mantle biopic screenplay that he thinks is better than anything he's ever written. Now I'm th I'm thinking he's written Rudy, he's written Hoosiers, and he thinks this is better than both of those. Um, you've made some phenomenal movies. You've directed some. You've produced some. You've written some. We've talked about some of them here already. Is there anything that's kind of in your holster that you think is better, or that is a terrific movie that? for whatever reason, hasn't gotten made? Oh, sure. 
I have after Blaine Sazer wrote a movie called Rhapsody in Crime, which was like all the old gangster movies in one. And Warner Brothers bought it. Uh, and for various reasons, there was no real producer involved. It never got made. They decided, well, why don't you write this script for Peter fucking Alan Arkin instead? But Rhapsody in Crime was, was a great movie. There's a script called Ottoman Empire uh, about a porn actor who gets involved with the first lady of the United States. It was a great script. <laughs> and that Keanu Reeves, <laughs> uh, I was going to do it, and that 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 fell apart because I had just done a movie that bombed terribly, and that was it. Suddenly, no one wanted to trust me with about ten million dollars to do a twenty million dollars. So that 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 one, those those are my two heartbreaks: Rhapsody and, and Ottoman Empire. I love those. Actually, sports. I did do a basketball television series once, which which we never we never got off the ground. But I wrote it with Norman Steinberg, who was one of the writers of of uh, of Blazing Saddles, which will shoot, and it was sort of based on the old Knicks. This is you had a Clyde character, you had a, a very you had a, a Bradley guy, a very bookish guy, uh, and you had a guy who was always injured. It was sort of based on Willis in those days, who was hurt all the time. And I, we had a great name for him. His name was Street Clothes Smith, because he was always in street clothes, and every every game he was dressed in these fabulous outfits. He had these casts with like rhinestones on them, you had this fabulous orthopedic stuff he wore, but he never played because he was always hurt, but that was street clothes. That might, that might be more entertaining than the real Knicks these days. Well, no, the real Knicks are not unentertaining anymore. They finally, they, they look to actually be, I mean, that's been a heartbreak. I mean, I grew up with that team, you know, that fabulous team, and and I've watched my, my two sons suffer brutally for, for their entire lives with this, this team. Uh, and the dumbest owner who ever lived. Um, but this team looks like a team, you know, and they have a real coach. Um, they're, 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 they're not going to win it this year, but they're not uninteresting. At least you can turn on and feel like proud to be rooting for them. You know, they have, yeah. they have some fight in them and they have some good young players. They really do. Listen, you're a sports fan and you're a writer who, 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 who writes, you know, um, scripts. So do you ever feel like, do you wish you could just script out the ending when you're watching a sports event, when you're watching a Yankee game or a Knicks game? Do you just wish you could make it end the way you want it to end? You certainly, I certainly have always rooted for some horrible thing to happen to the Red Sox, just as they're running onto the field. <laughs> but any other, any other team, you know, I mean, they play the, I hated the Dodgers since birth. If Dodgers play the Red Sox in the World Series, I'll be rooting for the Dodgers. I, I mean, the Red Sox are just so, to hate them is so in my DNA. It's completely irrational, but that's the basis of sports. But the that's Dodgers do have a Dodgers do have a terrifying lineup. They really do. That's why sports is so much fun to watch, right? You can't it's script it. Endless, endless, and because it's real, you know. Yeah. It's just real, and that's that's the beauty of it. That's the power of it. It's happening in front of you, and they can't they can't cook the books. They just you know they got to go out there and do it. You know, no matter what they pay these guys, they still got to do it and hit a ball. My thanks to Andy Bergman. His film credits are among my personal favorites. I have a group of friends who routinely quote Honeymoon in Vegas. We all know someone who quotes Fletch, probably, right? And Blazing Saddles is among the top three or four comedies ever by any standard you want to use. Hey, if you're new here, please check out the 30 with Murdy archive at Odyssey or Apple Podcasts. If you enjoyed this, go back and listen to my conversations with Phil Alden Robinson, the writer and director of Field of Dreams, or one with 
Angelo Pizzo, the writer of Hoosiers and Rudy, or my chat with Mark Charty, the former big league pitcher who went on to produce Miracle, The Rookie, and many others, including the upcoming American Underdog, the story of Super Bowl champ Kurt Warner. Dennis Quaid plays Dick Vermeil in that film, and I recently spoke to Quaid on this podcast as well. Plenty of baseball conversations in the queue also, so go back and enjoy. Tis the season for holiday travel, so hopefully this helps you pass some time. Make sure to subscribe and review and all that jazz. And until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.